Here it is, like I promise, part two of today's podcast. You know, after recording the last one and paying attention to a little bit of the news, you have Wall Street right now now talking a little bit more about the upcoming midterm elections. We've already kind of talked about it here on this podcast, so we won't go into too much details right now. But they are saying right now that there's a high probability that the politicians will blame Jerome Powell for the interest rate hikes because politicians have to blame someone for all the issues in the making, right? But that's what Wall Street's saying right now. And I'm curious to know if Jerome Powell is going to get hit hard with these comments. But at the same time, a lot of these politicians might be losing their office seats at the end of the day. They're running out of excuses, and I think the American people are slowly catching up to it. But we got some other more important news that we got to be able to cover, because like I said, there's a lot of news that came out this morning. First off, on this podcast for this part today, we're going to be talking about PayPal. PayPal is on the rise after an Amazon adds Venmo as a checkout option, and what that could mean for PayPal going forward. UBS reported earnings last night before the market opened in Swiss, I believe, and the Swiss bank posted a 24% profit slide, but beat analysis expectations. So let's we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. General Motors reported today, and ironically, we kind of talked about General Motors a little bit earlier in the podcast. And General Motors posts big third quarter earnings beat, but holds full year guidance steady amid headwinds. And what does that mean for the company? JetBlue also reported some earnings as well, and they did pretty well too. They posted quarterly profit as travel demand returns post-COVID, it looks like. And finally, last thing we'll be able to talk about is Adidas. Adidas and Yee, and what does that mean for the future of Adidas and for Yee going forward? With that being said, I have to remind you all at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any company as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. This podcast is for information entertainment purposes. I legally cannot give you financial advice. Please go talk to your professional advisor before making any financial decisions as they would understand your financial situation a lot better than I would. With that, let's begin today's podcast. PayPal's shares rise after Amazon adds Venmo as checkout option from CNBC. Amazon announced Tuesday it's adding Venmo as a payment option at checkout. Shares of PayPal, which owns Venmo, surged more than 5% in afternoon training. The feature will begin rolling out Amazon app and on Amazon.com starting Tuesday. Before launching for U.S. users by Black Friday on November 25th, Amazon said. Venmo is a popular payment service that allows users to send money to each other. It has increasingly expanded beyond its peer-to-peer functionality, with more online retailers adding Venmo as a form of payment, such as Shopify and Lululemon. Hmm, I did not know that about Shopify and Lululemon. Users add their Venmo accounts as a form of payment on their Amazon account, then select Venmo as their payment option during checkout. The partnership will give Amazon shoppers more options to pay for their orders. The company currently accepts credits and debit cards, store cards, HSA and FSA accounts, as well as EBT cards. Amazon also announced a partnership with Buy Now, Pay Later service, a firm last year, and lets users split the purchases into installments. You know, it's a kind of a smart move if you think about it. There's probably a lot of Venmo money that's sitting in accounts right now of people not being able to transfer it at times into their banks. So it's a smart move on Amazon at the end of the day to use Venmo. Now, what's interesting is they had made a statement on CNBC that apparently Venmo isn't doing that well as a company because they just haven't met expectations on a lot of their earnings calls and they haven't figured out how to monetize it. 
But maybe with Amazon, they'll figure out how to do that a little bit more. Or maybe at the end of the day, maybe Amazon will just buy out Venmo. That'd be that'd be kind of funny to see if Amazon did buy out Venmo at the end of the day. But Wall Street, they're keeping an eye out for this. But Amazon's going to continue making money, it looks like. Amazon, it's looking like they're slowly just accepting everything. I think it was a couple years ago that some companies were accepting Bitcoin. That would be interesting to see if Amazon ever did accept Bitcoin as a transaction of payment services onto their platforms. I think that's when you would know that Amazon is doing everything they can to just make an extra dollar using every payment option for their services to use. Speaking of payment services, Swiss bank UBS posted 24% profit slide, but beat analysis expectations. UBS on Tuesday reported a net income of $1.7 billion for the third quarter of this year, slightly above analysis expectations, with the Swiss bank citing a challenging environment. Analysis had expected a net profit of $1.64 billion, according to Refinitiv data. UBS reported a net income of $2.3 billion a year ago. The Swiss lender had missed expectations in last quarter when it posted a net profit of $2.108 billion. The bank said at the time it had a second quarter had been one of the most challenging periods for investors in the last 10 years due to high inflation, the war in Ukraine, and strict COVID-19 policies in Asia. UBS said Tuesday, these factors continue to be investors on investors' minds in the quarter. The macroeconomic and geopolitical environment has become increasingly complex. Clients remain concerned about persistently high inflation, evaluated energy prices, the war in Ukraine, and the residual effects of the pandemic, Ralph Hammer, CEO of UBS, said in a statement. Speaking to CNBC, Geoff Cutmore, Hammer said, however, that there have been very strong flows into the business over the quarter, with the net with the, with net new free generating assets at 17 billion. Other highlights of the quarter included revenues hit 8.3 billion down from 99.1 billion a year ago. Operating expenses dropped to 5.9 billion from 6.2 billion a year ago. And CET1 capital ratio, a measure of bank solvency reached 14.4% versus 14.9% a year ago. If investment banking decisions saw revenues down by 19% with the lower performance in equity uh, derivatives, cash equities, and financing revenues being offset by revenues in foreign exchange, the Global Wealth Management Division also reported lower revenues down 4% on the year. However, personal and corporate banking revenues rose over the same period on more beneficial rates from the Swiss National Bank. Hammers noted Tuesday that clients on the wealth on the wealth side were looking for alternative investments in cash, and he predicted that the activity of the institutional side of training unit would remain weak in the fourth quarter. That is good to know because it sounds like other banks are saying things would be okay, but the Swiss bank might be a little bit different. Now, what is interesting too is this this Swiss bank is now looking towards China for potential growth, okay? It says here, UBS is aiming to approve its business in the Asia Pacific, and CEO Hammers said he sees some opportunities to grow in China. The confirmation of China's President Xi for another term is on one side, basically a confirmation of consistency going forward of some of the policies that he has come out with over the last year will most likely be continued, Hammers said. He added that the Swiss bank looks at China by virtue of its demographics and some of the dimensions of the economy. We think over time it's a very attractive place, so strategic place, he added. Elsewhere, Hammers, Hammers expects a challenging time for Europe given the ongoing energy crisis. And this is where things get interesting with the CEO, okay? He says, Europe will have a challenging period, a challenging winter, although they have their reserves, he said, adding that the Swiss bank expects the region to enter a recession. 
So he's predicting that the European Union is going to be entering a recession, which makes me wonder if a recession does happen, how much more are we going to be sending supplies to Ukraine? I mean, Germany and the EU, EU in general isn't really sending much supplies to Ukraine to help fight against Russia. But if the EU goes into a recession, how much more are they going to be giving to Ukraine? That's a political dumpster fire in the making, it sounds like. Because the United States will probably keep trying to pump supplies and money into Ukraine to make sure that they keep fighting the Russians off. But he's believing Europe is done. And now he's looking towards China. It also makes me wonder, too, if China should ever invade Taiwan. Obviously, we've talked about the markets and how they would handle things. But how's UBS going to handle this? We're going to remember this going forward, just in case something like that does happen in the future. Continuing on with more earnings reports, General Motors posts big third quarter earnings beat, but holds full year guidance steady amid headwinds. From Detroit, from CNBC, General Motors easily beat Wall Street's earnings expectations during the third quarter, while signaling caution and confirming a full year results are likely to come in the near midpoint of its pers- uh, previous announced forecasts. The Detroit automaker on Tuesday stressed that demand for its products remains strong despite outside economic concerns and rising interest rates. But its profit narrowed in the third quarter as its vehicle inventory slowly rises from the record lows. Here's how GM performed compared with analysis estimates at compiled by Refinitiv. Adjusted earnings per share, $2.25 versus $1.88. Revenue is $41.89 billion versus $42.22 billion. The big beat and narrow miss on the top line has been a trend throughout the coronavirus pandemic for the automaker as tight supplies of vehicles have led to lower sales but higher profits on in-demand SUVs and pickup trucks. Despite the bottom line, GM did not adjust its guidance for the year as profit margins narrowed. The company expects full year net income of between $9.6 billion and $11.2 billion and adjusted earnings before interest and taxes of between $13 billion and $15 billion, or $6.50 and $7.50 per share. GM CFO Paul Jacobson said the company expects to hit the midpoint of its earning guidance for the year. He said the automaker is not ignoring outside economic concerns, but has not seen any direct impact on its products. Quote, we're going to continue to be agile, he told reporters during a media call. We continue to see strong demand. His comments echoed those of GM CEO Mary Berry in a letter to shareholders Tuesday. She said the company reaffirmed its guidance despite a challenging environment because the demand continues to be strong for GM products and we are actively managing the headwinds we face. Shares of the automaker gained were more up than 3% in the afternoon trading following the company's quarterly report. Most investors were expected to look past the Detroit automaker's results in favor of any change in guidance or or comments regarding larger economic issues. Inflation in particular has already dominated the conversation on Wall Street at the starting earnings seasons. The auto industry earnings and forecast are being closely watched by investors for any signs of consumer demand could be weakening amid rising rates and looming recession fears. Jacobson said the automaker has completed about 75% of the 95,000 vehicles in its inventory that were manufactured without certain components as of June 30th. GM is expected that sustainability, all those vehicles will be completed and sold to dealers before the end of 2022. You know, we kind of spoke about this, like I said in the other podcast, that we had a report today that GM is also... I mean, GM is making a push and not just GM. A lot of car makers are making a push into the EV markets overall. And it seems like the car 
the car industry is doing pretty well, which is quite surprising because all I've ever heard right now is that there's component parts that are hard to find right now. And obviously chips are another issue with the car industry as well. But it seems like these car companies are making it. Maybe this is the quarter that jumpstarts everything. And maybe we don't really hit that recession that they keep talking about. Not financial advice, just an opinion right now. But it would seem like if things are going well, or maybe it's just Wall Street just being happy with everything on the results right now. Nothing can get in Wall Street's way, except for Wall Street, obviously. But not only in the car industry right now, even the airline industry. It says here, JetBlue posts quarterly profit as travel demand helps cover cover jump in costs. From CNBC, JetBlue Airways eked out a 57 million profit for the third quarter as strong travel demand and higher fares helped the carrier cover more expensive fuel and other costs. The New York-based airline revenue rose 30% during the quarter in the same period last year to $2.56 billion in line with analysis estimates. JetBlue's operating margin narrowed to 5.4% from 9.4% a year earlier, after expenses rose nearly 36% from the same period in 2021. JetBlue CEO Robin Hayes said that the carrier expects another solid quarter of mid-single-digit pre-tax margins in the fourth quarter, and we look to expand on the further in 2023 as we continue to restore our earnings power. Here's how JetBlue performed in the third quarter, compared with Wall Street expectations according to Refinitiv consensus estimates. Adjusted earnings per share of $0.21 cents versus an expected $0.23. Cents. Total revenue of $2.56 billion versus an expected $2.56 billion. JetBlue's shares were down more than 3% early, af- early afternoon trading Tuesday, recovering from earlier losses. Other airlines' shares rose. Quote, while the revenue outlook is strong, we have to continue to be thoughtful about every penny we spend, particularly in today's environment since our entire business model is competing with lower fares is based on having lower costs relative to the legacy airlines. JetBlue CFO wrote in a note to employees, which has reviewed by CNBC. Oh, correction, which was reviewed by CNBC. Hurley said, despite the quarterly results, the airline won't post a full year profit in 2022. After the bumps we faced in the first half of the year with the Omicron variant and operational challenges. Larger U.S. carriers have been upbeat about travel demand and larger outperformed analysis expectations on resilient bookings, particularly on the return of the international trips. Airlines executives say that they are limited in how much capacity they can add because of the shortfalls in aircraft and pilots, which is helping keep fares high. Airlines have also held back on adding flights after a host of costly operation meltdowns prompted them to add more slack in the system. JetBlue said its plans to expanding flying 1% to 4% in the fourth quarter compared to 2019 levels. Airlines are comparing capacity levels with those of three years ago to show they're recovering from the COVID pandemic. Given the continued fragile aviation ecosystem, we are taking a cautious approach of operational investment and more conservative planning assumptions and that we put into place for the summer, CFO Hurley said in the earnings release. You know, airlines in particular... We've, we've kind of covered it. I mean, you have Amazon right now who's trying to use Hawaiian Air to help deliver more stuff now. And I think we've also mentioned earlier too that Boeing actually met its demand for aircraft carriers. They, they, they delivered over 50. It was like the first time, I think, since 2019, 2017 maybe. I can't remember. Listen to that past podcast if you want to remember how that one worked. But what is interesting is what CNBC is reporting about the issue with the airlines right now too with this, okay? 
It says here from the airlines industry, CNBC, airlines have the passengers. Now they need the planes. Okay. Airline industry has been positive. Okay. Now that they're saying that they need the planes says air travel demand is showing no signs of easing. Airline executives said this month, but new planes are in short supply, they warned, limiting the growth and keeping fares high. JetBlue Airways said Tuesday it was supposed to receive 99 planes from Airbus next year, but it will get about 22. Quote, I think we're all aware that they're struggling from ramp-up challenge driven by manpower and supply chain. JetBlue CFO Hersley said on the New York-based carrier's quarter call, we're working hand-in-hand with them to manage through those. Last week, American Airlines CFO Derek Kerr said the carry expects to take a delivery of 19 Boeing 737 MAX 8 planes in 2023, compared with the 27 previously expected based on guidance from the manufacturer. That means airlines that have parked planes and slash growth are now struggling to expand. Along with shortage of pilots, the problem can make the bargain flights even more exclusive. Executives at Boeing and its chief rival Airbus in recent months have said supply chain problems and labor shortfalls have prevented the companies from ramping up production to meet the recovery and air travel. Boeing and Airbus, which both declined to comment, are set to report results on Wednesday and Friday, respectively. Yeah, Boeing just recently said they hit 50, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember if it was last quarter or if it was... Last month, it might have been last month, but we do know, we have reported on this podcast that Boeing had crossed the 50 threshold. It was kind of a big deal because like I said, it was the first time they had done it since the pandemic. Then we get to find out on Wednesday how these companies do. This can get things really interesting if they can report saying like, oh, we're back on track. We got the supplies and all that stuff. But it's it's just mind boggling to think right now that they're, this is what they're saying. The problem is, is that there's not enough planes. Maybe there's not enough up-to-date models of the planes, it sounds like, but not there's not enough planes. Continuing on, it says, quote, while we're, work, while we're working many actions across the business every day to mitigate the impacts of supply chain constraints and labor availability, we do expect these pressures will continue to persist into the next year as well, said Raytheon Technologies CFO Neil Mitchell during the company's courting earnings call on Tuesday. Raytheon's Pratt & Whitney Whitney engines fly on both Boeing and Airbus planes, and its Collins Airspace unit supplies both manufacturers. So, maybe that's one thing they need to consider doing. Maybe instead of focusing on the the automation of self-driving cars, maybe that's the next big thing that's going to have to be made is self-driving planes. I don't know how I would feel about having a plane fly itself. I think that would be a little too creepy, you know, honestly. But I think in time I would get used to it. As long as there was someone at the the cockpit that could be able to say like, oh yeah, things are going fine if things weren't going fine. But maybe that's where things will eventually go with with the shortage of pilots in the making, what they keep saying. Because during the summer, I remember that I was supposed to go pick up people from the airport. And they said that their their flight was delayed two times, actually. And I remember when leaving Las Vegas with from my club volleyball tournament with the girls who I coach, their parents had also told me, too, that their planes had been delayed as well. And so it makes me wonder at the end of the day, if there is a shortage of pilots, maybe that's what becomes the next big thing. There might be a company soon, and there might already be out there. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a company that's manufacturing to make self-driving planes. 
And honestly, that would be very interesting to think about in the future. It would be. Because that would make a lot of money for the for the airline industry. If you can cut the pilot shortage, have self-driving planes. I don't know if anyone would want to fly it, though, at the end of the day. But, I mean, there's already self-driving trucks in the making, self-driving cars. There's self-driving robots. Planes might be next. Something to think about. So... Last thing we'll talk about today, Adidas terminates Yee partnership, Gap removes Yeezy items over rapper's anti-Semitic remarks. From CNBC, Adidas on Tuesday ended his partnership with Yee, formerly known as Kanye West, after the musician made a series of offensive and anti-Semitic comments. Hours later, Gap said it would immediately remove Yee Yeezy's products from its stores. It shut down Yeezgap.com, which now redirects to Gap website. Anti-Semitism, racism, and hate in any form is inexcusable and not tolerated in accordance with our values, said Gap, which announced in September that it would end its partnership with Yee. The clothing retailer said at the time it would sell through its remaining Yee's inventory. Gap's statement echoed that Adidas said earlier, Adidas does not tolerate anti-Semitism and any other sort of hate speech. Yee recent comments and actions have been unacceptable, hateful, and dangerous, and... They violate the company's values of diversity and inclusion, mutual respect and fairness, the company said. After I threw a review, the company has taken the decision to terminate the partnership with Yee immediately, end production of Yeezy brand products, and stop all payments to Yee and his companies. Adidas will stop Adidas Yeezy business with immediate effect. Adidas' decision also cost Yee his billionaire status. Forbes estimates that without Adidas' deal, his net worth was dropped by $400 million, which comes from his music catalog, real estate and his 5% stake in ex-Kim Kardashian shapewear company, Skims. Forms valued his Adidas deal by adding $1.5 billion to his net worth. Now he's lost about $400 million. The German sportswear giants has faced pressure from its from the public and its own employees to cut ties with Yi, who said in a podcast on October 16th, I can say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Colin Adidas has come in from the last three legal organizations as well as the anti-racism groups. A change.org petition has set up a campaign against anti-sentimism, urging Adidas to severe ties with Yee and gather 169,100 signatures by Tuesday morning. The Anti-Defamation League, Stop Anti-Sentimism, and the International Legal Forum applaud the move by Adidas on Tuesday. Quote, in the end, Adidas' action sends a powerful message that anti-sentimism and bigotry have no place in society. The ADL statement said, Talent agency CAA confirmed it had dropped Yi as a client Monday, and he was let go by, uh, I think it's Balenciaga last week. Twitter and Instagram blocked him over anti-Semitic remarks. Conservative social media platform Parker then announced Yi has agreed to buy it. CNBC has contact representatives for Yi, and he has yet to receive or a reply. CNBC has yet, re- yeah, correction. CNBC hasn't received a reply from Yi. Okay. We're not going to get into the full details on this next part, but this will impact Adidas in some way, losing Kanye West or Yee now, as he's called. Okay, says here, Adidas said it would have a short-term negative impact of up to 250 million euros on the net income in 2022 due to the high seasonal in the fourth quarter. It added that it was the sole owner of all design rights to existing products as well as previous and new colorways under the partnership. That would provide more information during the third quarter earnings on November 9th. 
Adidas fell 4% in the morning training in Frankfurt, Germany, after Bloomberg reported earlier in the day that it was planning to end the partnership. The company began a review of the partnership on October 6th, but has been widely criticized by the inaction since then. And a LinkedIn post Monday, US-based Adidas employee Sarah Cam he wrote, it has been 14 days since Kanye started spewing anti-Semitic rhetoric and Adidas has remained quiet, both international to employees as well as externally to our customers. The director for trademarking added, quote, we need to do better as a brand. We need to do better for our employees and we need to do better for our, our commodities until Adidas takes a stand. I will not stand with Adidas. The German company began working with Yee in 2013 and 2016 signed a deal to manufacture and distribute items from the Yee's clothing line. Adidas has previously said that the partnership has had a tremendous impact on his business and in one of the most successful collaborations in the history of the industry. However, he has publicly criticized Adidas along with some of his other corporate partners, such as Retail Gap in recent months. And finally, the last thing we'll read is, is he told CNBC that Adidas was copying his ideas and also posts social media uh, tirades against the company, specifically targeting chief executive Casper uh, Rosted and board members. Yeah. Uh, don't be surprised if Adidas next quarter, not this coming quarter on November 9th, the following quarter, if they don't make as much money, obviously they'll blame the holiday shopping, right? Inflation, Ukraine, and they'll probably blame the partnership that they lost with Yi. They will, uh, at least my opinion, they will. Uh, companies are always looking for a scapegoat about why they fail sometimes. And this could be one reason. Okay. And I mean, now, now they're losing one of the best, well, they, they said in their own words, one of the best partnerships. They even said here, it says Adidas struggled to compete with Nike for top sponsorships. So Yee's was one big advantage, he added. They got rid of Yee and Adidas sometimes struggles with getting top athletes. I mean, think about it. If you're a basketball player, obviously you think of Jordans, right? And Jordans are a big brand in Nike. And... I think Steph Curry is with Under Armour, if I'm not mistaken, right? Could be wrong. But what major NBA player, like superstar NBA player these days, wears Adidas brands? No, honestly, that's what's going to make Adidas come back on top. They have to find now, if if you're losing Yi, they now have to find another suitable superstar in the making or just another celebrity in the making that will, I guess, fit their standards at the end of the day. It's their company, their choice, what they want to do at the end of the day. But they do need to find someone or else Adidas, Adidas probably will struggle the next couple of quarters. Okay. Love him or hate him. I mean, I personally think Kanye West, now known as Yee, I think he's insane at half of the time. Sometimes I, yeah, I just think he's insane sometimes. If you do listen to the interview though, that he does have with, Tuck, with uh, Tucker Carlson. I mean, if you're open-minded, obviously listen to it, be able to get a better understanding but at the end of the day, there's some things you sit there and you're like, dude, what the heck are you talking about at the end of the day? But Adidas will have to find someone new. They will. It's the only way their brand's going to be able to compete. Because like I said, Steph Curry's with Under Armour, like I said, I believe. And obviously Michael Jordan has the, the Jordan brand with Nike. And there's other NBA players who I'm sure are with Nike. I mean, even Kobe had Nike shoes that were out there. And those are those are still pretty big names out there too. But the D's will have to find someone who they pick next will determine their future. But I think for the next couple of quarters, Adidas is going to be feeling it. They will be. They don't have a big name right now backing them up. So yeah, should be interesting to hear what their next earnings call says. Not this one on November 9th, the following one, which would probably be, 
I'm assuming February. So hopefully we can look at it in February of next year. I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. We'll be able to keep talking about what's happening on Wall Street and be able to get the news out there of what's happening at any given time. Please also continue sharing with friends and family. Get the word out there and hopefully your friends and family will be able to keep sharing it as well to keep spreading the word out there. Thank you so much for my podcast listeners who have followed me so far on this podcast journey so far. Thank you so much for enjoying and listening. Thank you so much for today's podcast, for listening. Thank you and goodbye.